Hebrews 11, 29 and uh, 30. We're going to talk about the faith of the children of Israel uh, this morning. And here is what the author of Hebrews said. Hebrews 11, 29 and 30. By faith, they, the children of Israel, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Amen. So um, again, we have been 58 weeks now in the book of Hebrews and in Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews who are being persecuted and even considering going back to Judaism and he's encouraging them to endure persecution and to live their lives by faith, not by sight. Amen. And we have seen throughout chapter 11 how he's going through the Old Testament uh, examples, how the Old Testament saints, the cloud of witnesses, as he's going to call it in Hebrews 12, they all lived their lives by faith. Some were persecuted, some did not receive the promises, some experienced mighty things by God, but at the end of the day, each one of them trusted God. And we have arrived now to verse 29 and verse 30. Um, I was actually going to get through these two verses quickly and really focus on verse 31, the faith of rehab. But then I feel like God was showing me some things that are just speaking to me through the scripture. So I just want to show, share with you today some thoughts that I feel like God has been sharing with me. Um, the faith of the children of Israel. This is kind of a tricky one. Uh, if you remember in chapter 3 and chapter 4, the author of Hebrews was pretty uh, used the children of Israel as example of people who did not exhibit faith. You remember that? Yeah. How they, they started well, but they did not end up well. They started well, but they end up not trusting God and end up in a way utterly rejecting God. And that's what the author of Hebrews was warning his readers from doing. Don't be like them, utterly reject God and his promises and his purposes. But right here in verse 29, the author of Hebrews is focusing on one incident where the children of Israel actually showed faith in God. <clears throat> and that's when they were actually trying to cross the Red Sea. It was technically the faith of Moses. Moses who did all the faith, they just kind of tagged along on Moses' faith. And that's what the author of Hebrews was talking about here. In verse 30, the author of Hebrews is not talking about the faith of the generation that left Egypt because by the time they arrived to Jericho, they all died in the wilderness. The generation that circled around Jericho and have seen a move of God and the, fall, the walls fall down is a different generation than the one that the author of Hebrews has been speaking about in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Amen? So let's talk about the first generation, how they exhibited faith when they crossed the, the Red Sea. The author of Hebrews here is pretty much might be highlighting a verse in Exodus, 14, Exodus chapter 14 verse 15. Here's what God is telling Moses. At that incidence, Moses and the Israelites are stuck. The Red Sea is in ahead of them. Pharaoh and all his army is chasing them. And they're crying out to God, complaining more than trusting, saying, what are you doing? You're gonna, we're going to be killed here. And they start murmuring and complaining against God. But Moses took that complaint to God and prayed. And here is what God told Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go 
forward. Go forward where? To the sea. The sea was not split at that time. But they received the command from God to go forward in spite of the fact that there is no way forward. You guys are with me? And that's exactly what we have been talking about. What is faith? You remember our definition of faith? The Franconia Community Church definition? Faith is an action based on a trust of, on the actual promises of God, right? Faith is to act because God has said something in spite of the fact that it can be absolutely illogical and doesn't make any sense. But you know that God has spoken and you act because you trust the actual promise that God has spoken to you. Amen? And that's what the children of Israel did here. They start going forward because God has commanded them to do so in spite of the fact that there is really no way forward. Amen? What they did defied logic, but they worshiped God who can't split the Red Sea. Amen? And then the rest of that verse, the author of Hebrew is contrasting what happened to the children of Israel versus what happened to the Egyptian. The children of Israel actually walked through the Red Sea because the wind came and the water split. There was a heap of water on the right hand and a heap of water on the left hand. And they walked through the Red Sea as if they walked as, well, not as if. They actually were walking on dry land. Then the Egyptian came and they tried to do the exact same thing. And what happened to them? They drowned. They all died. Why? Let's talk about the aspect of faith here in that. Why? Why did the Israelites did miraculous things and the Egyptians failed to do the miraculous things? What distinguished these two groups in that incident in terms of faith? A word from God. You guys are with me? The Israelites had a word from God, but the Egyptians didn't have a word from God. It's the exact same miraculous event. The only reason the Israelites passed through the Red Sea is because God commanded them to do so. There is a word and a promise from God. Egyptians didn't receive a promise. Obviously, God used that to, to ruin the Egyptians and punish them for their oppression to the children of Israel. Amen? The point is, before you do any crazy, crazy thing, we talked about this again, you make sure that you heard from God. Amen? Amen? Remember what distinguished faith from stupidity is a word from God. Remember that. Amen? What distinguishes faith from stupidity is a word, a promise from God. You can do stupid and dumb, illogical things, but if you have heard from God, it will happen. Amen? And if, have you, not, if you have not heard from God, then that's just crazy. Amen? So that is the first example in verse 29. Now let's focus a little bit more in verse 30. By faith. The walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Remember that story in Joshua chapter 2. Um, Joshua now is about to cross the river Jordan. And there is that massive gigantic city that is called Jericho with tons of wall, very fortified. And God commands Joshua and he says, Joshua, I don't want you to wage a war against that city. Traditional, typical war against that city. I just want you to circle around that city once a day for six days and then on the seventh day i want you to circle around it seven times and after the seventh time you just blow the trumpet on the seventh day and the walls were full you guys are with me now that's some crazy instructions right joshua was a man of war and i'm pretty sure there was a lot of people of war in the army of israel at that time in order for them to hear these instructions and obey it, they must have thought that 
Joshua might have started doing drugs or something like that. You guys are with me? How in the world a wall can fall by just going around it? You don't have to even fight for it. The instructions were so defying logic, so defined to the laws of nature, right? But it did come to pass, and they did actually circle around Jericho for seven days. Why? Because that is faith. What is faith again? Faith is action based on trust in the actual promises of God. The children of Israel have seen God, have heard of God, that generation, doing so mighty things for them. And they probably were going to experience God uh, when they're crossing the Jordan, how he's going to split that before them as well. So they have seen the miraculous power of God. For them to see something miraculous was not as odd and as strange. Yet the fact of the matter is, when the children of Israel were going around Jericho every single day for seven days, they exhibited faith because they acted, because they trusted the promises and the word of God. You guys are with me? Faith defies logic. Faith defies the laws of nature. But again, you have to make sure that you heard from God. You guys are with me? This is the key word, a promise from God. If there is no promise from God, don't do it because you're going to end up just making a mess. But if you heard from God, you can do things that defy logic, defies the law of nature. And guess what? What you're attempting to do is going to come to pass. Amen? Do we have other examples in the scripture that faith defied logic and defied the very laws of nature? Many, many examples. Let me just show you a couple. The faith of Gideon. We read about that in the book of Judges, chapter, around chapter 7. Gideon was uh, the littlest of his tribe, the littlest of his family. God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go to fight the Midianites. Now, Gideon had an army, a massive army, and God said, that's too big for me, too big for me. Isn't that the opposite of what army and fights and war should be all about? You should have the biggest army possible to increase your chances to win that war, right? That's the way logic works. That's the way the laws of nature work, but not so our God. Amen? He said, this is too many for me. I want only 300 of them. And these 300 went against an army, and the scripture says this in Judges 7-12, the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as lacoste, and their camels were without numbers. I don't know about you. Think about that. You have 300 people, and we have innumerable army on the other side. Logic, laws of nature, which side do you think going to win? Right, the numerous ones, right? I would say the numerous ones will crush the 300 people in, in no time. That's what logic tells us. That's what the laws of nature tells us. But God's word may reverse all the laws of nature. God's word supersede any logic that God can ask us to think about. You guys are with me? These 300 people didn't even need to fight. Nobody needed to draw their sword. They just blow the trumpet, you know, broke some butchers. And, and all of a sudden, the army, the massive army, start killing themselves. And Gideon and the Israelites won. Amen? Amen. Faith does defy logic, but just make sure that you hear a word from God. You guys are with me? Hearing a promise from God is the absolute key. Without it, we're going to make a mess. Amen? So we see in the life of Gideon that faith can defy logic. How about the life of Elijah in 1 Kings 18? Now, Elijah on Mount Carmel, and he's challenging the prophets of the Baal. 
and they say, the God who answers with fire is God. And what does Elijah do? Elijah said, go bring water and pour it on the sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but if you want to light a fire, I would highly recommend that you don't pour water on the things that you're going to light up. You guys are with me? Because water will quench the fire. What Elijah did was absolutely contralaging, contra all the laws of nature, didn't he? But he did it anyway. You know why? Because he heard from God. And what he did by faith defied logic, defied the laws of nature. Yet the fire came down. And instead of the water quenched the fire, the fire devoured the water. Amen? Faith does defy logic. And faith does defy the laws of nature. But you just need to make sure that you heard from God. Amen? How about Peter? We read that in Matthew 14. Jesus is walking on water, Peter in the, in the ship, and he with the disciples, and they see Jesus walking on water. I don't know about you, but walking on water kind of defies the laws of nature. Amen? Jesus was doing something so illogical, defying the laws of nature in every possible way. Peter sees him and says, hey, if you're Christ, if you're the Messiah, command me to come to you. What did Jesus say? Come. Here is the promise of God. And what does Peter do in response? He acted because he trusted the promise of Jesus, right? He steps out of the boat and he himself starts walking on water, right? Obviously, he failed because he doubted God's promise, but the point is still valid. Peter took his first step out of the boat by faith. How did he do it? He acted because he trusted the word of Jesus. Come. Amen? What is faith? Faith is a action based on trust in the actual promises of God. God can command you to do the impossible, right? And can command you to do stuff that is beyond logic, defies logic, defies the laws of nature. But if you heard from God, our God is above the laws of nature and above logic. Amen? So... There are examples of the scripture, not just the children of, of Israel, but many other examples on the Old Testament that faith, the command and the word of God can defy logic. But how about you and me? Have Jesus commanded us to defy logic? He actually did multiple times. Look at this. Matthew 17, 20. Now, Jesus here is, uh, just came down from the mountain of transfiguration. He was up there with uh, Peter, John, and um, what is the third one? Peter, John, anyways, the third disciple. That Jesus was there, and he experienced the transfiguration, and he comes down, and he sees that his disciples is failing to, to, to get out a demon out of a person. And what did Jesus tell them? After he rebuked that demon and got him out, here is what Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20. Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, why you were not able to cast out that demon? Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you now let's pause a minute here this phrase that jesus said dr Givens, last thursday when we were praying for mercedes he said everything has a name and we should command it like command things by name 
And I think it's your phrase like that that made me look at that verse in, in a different way. Look at that. Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you will pray to God to move the mountain and he will do it, right? What does he, he say? If you have faith like a mustard seed, you say to this mountain. Whom are you speaking to? Are you speaking to God? You're speaking to a mountain. Now, I don't know about you, but doesn't that defy logic when you talk to a dumb mountain? And you talk to him like Jesus said, you talk to him like you're talking to a person. Move from here to there. Right. Now, I don't know about you. That should be something you say to a being, a human, right? Or somebody who knows, understands the words that you're saying, and it has the will and the intellect to obey, right? But Jesus asked us to defy logic, right? Even defy the very laws of nature. He said, you talk to a dumb, lifeless mountain. You speak to it. Move from here to there. And what does it do? And it will move. Now, that's, that's when you know Jesus is not very well educated. Because Jesus should have said, it will be moved. You guys are with me? Because this is a dumb thing. This dumb thing doesn't move by itself. This chair doesn't move by itself, right? If I want to say this, church, this chair moved from one end of the sanctuary to the other end of the sanctuary, I should say, correct English, correct grammar, this church is being moved, right? Because I'm the one who's doing the action, right? But this is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, it will move on its own, as if it understood your command, it understood what you're saying, and it obeyed you. I don't know about you, that, that's pretty much defy logic, doesn't it? Not to mention that obviously it defies the laws of nature because mountains don't move. Amen? But Jesus said, you can do that. This is what I'm asking. This is what I'm expecting you to do. That you can speak to that mountain and it will obey you. Well, maybe we misunderstood Jesus. Maybe he didn't mean it this way. Maybe it's a metaphor. Well, in Luke chapter 17, we have a different story. Now, Jesus has just rebuked a, a fig tree, and then the disciples next day got shocked because what Jesus said actually coming to pass. So what did Jesus tell them? Luke 17, 6, the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, the same thing we, he said in, in, in Matthew 17, you say to what? To this mulberry tree, be pulled up, by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Again, Jesus is not saying if you have faith as a mustard seed, you ask God to move the tree and he will do it for you. He said you say to it. You talk to that dumb tree and you ask it to be up and you talk to her like you're talking to a person. You can mend it, right? Be pulled out. This is what you say to a dumb tree. This is defying logic, doesn't it? Not to mention defying the laws of nature, but this is what Jesus asked us to do. Amen? Yeah. This is what Jesus is saying. You talk to the tree yeah. as if you're talking to a person. He yeah. say, be pulled out by the roots and be planted in the sea. Yeah. I don't know about you. If I see you talking to a tree, I'm probably going to call the psychiatrist, right? <laughs> but this is what Jesus has commanded us to do. And this, what's going to happen in response to that? It would obey you. Wait a minute, Jesus. A tree is a dumb thing. It doesn't have the will or the intellect to obey. In order for you to obey some, some command, you have to understand that command, don't you? Yeah. 
And you have to have the will to obey or not to obey, right? Now, a dumb tree doesn't have the will, doesn't have an intellect, but Jesus said, if you command it, if you speak to it, say, be pulled out, be rooted in the sea, it would obey you. Amen? Is Jesus asking us to do things by faith that defies logic and defies the laws of nature? You bet he does. Now, Jesus here said, if you have faith as a mustard seed. You know how big is a mustard seed? I needed to look it up because... I needed to know how big is a mustard seed. And um, in Wikipedia, some other websites, it says this, that the mustard seed can be as big as one millimeter in diameter. One, mil one millimeter in diameter. It can weigh about two milligrams. This is how big a mustard seed is. It's so insignificant and so minute. And I don't know about you, but every time I would pray for somebody who's sick or ask for something supernatural and it doesn't happen, I look at that verse, and the way I understand it is I try to quantify my faith. So I would say, maybe it didn't happen because I don't have a full-size mustard seed faith. Maybe my faith is quarter or half mustard seed faith. That's why it didn't happen. But if my faith grow to the size of a mustard seed, then, then, that, then that miracle will happen. I always thought about it this way. You guys are with me? But this is actually the exact opposite of Jesus was saying here. Jesus is not using faith as a mustard seed to, as a way to quantitate the amount of faith. This is a metaphor. This is just a figure of speech. The point that Jesus is making is if your faith is so small, so neglectable, you still can do mighty works. You guys are with me? You guys are with me? This is not about God. God will bring a mustard seed. And bring your faith on the other side and try to measure how big is your faith compared to that mustard seed. And once you reach to that limit, then the miracles will happen. Amen? Amen. This is what Jesus is saying. Is you can be with little faith, as little as imaginable, and you still can do miraculous things and yes. defy logic. That's what Jesus was saying. Yes. So how can you exhibit that kind of faith? Well, remember what faith is. We said that faith is... A action based on trust in the actual promises of God. So if you start acting, regardless of not knowing what's going to happen, the fact that you take the step of action, you are showing God that you have faith, that you are trusting his promise, and you're willing to take the fall if it doesn't work out. Amen? Amen. So it is not about, you know, how much faith you have. It's about how much action do you do with that word. It's about how much action you do with that promise. The tiniest of action in obedience to the command of Christ is faith. You guys are with me? Yeah. It is inaction that is no faith. But if you act at any level, even a friend, like a stranger, whatever, you see somebody sick and you start praying for them, that's faith. Hallelujah. And that's faith exceeding the mustard seed. Amen? Yeah. Now... Do we have examples? Well, maybe we're not understanding the command of Jesus here very good. Do we have examples in the Bible that people can talk to things and these things would obey? Or are we just not understanding the command of Christ here? Well, we have plenty of examples, actually. Let's go through a couple. The first one is in the book of Joshua. Now, Joshua is, has been tricked by a, by a city called Gibeon. And they came back to him and he said, Joshua, defend us because we are going to war. So because he has already made a covenant, he gets the army of Israel and he goes there to defend Gibeon. And what happens? It's getting dark. The sun is going down. 
And because it's getting dark, the army of Israel will not accomplish the victory that they should have. So what would Joshua do? Look at this. Joshua 10, 12 to 13. On that day, the Lord gave the, Amor the Amorite over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord. Notice here, he's saying to the Lord. In the presence of Israel. But how he's doing it? Look at this. Son. What is he doing? He's talking to who? He's talking to the son. Isn't that crazy? Son. He's talking to, to the son as if he's talking to a person. Right? And he says, son, stand still over Gibeon. And you, moon. He's talking to who? Does Joshua need a psychiatrist? I think he does, doesn't he? He's talking to the sun and the moon as if they are intellectual objects. But he's saying, sun, stand still over Gibeon and you moon over the valley of Eglon. What happens after that? So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till that nation avenged itself of uh, their enemies. He's talking to the sun and to the moon. Isn't that what Jesus commanded, in a way, us to do? That we can talk to dumb objects and they would obey? We have an example in Joshua here. How about Jesus? Look at this. A couple of examples for Jesus. Now, Jesus is in the, in, the, in the boat, a storm, and he's asleep, and the disciples are freaking out. So they come to him, and they shake him up, say, hey, wake up. Don't you care? We're going to perish. So Jesus wakes up in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 30, 39, and he said, then he arose, and he rebuked who? He's speaking to who? He's spe is the wind has any sort of intellect? Is the wind like has a well, has a way, can, can understand? When you go talk to the wind all that you want, do you think the wind will understand the words that comes out of your mouth? It, it shouldn't, right? But Jesus spoke to the wind and he said to who? To the sea. He's speaking to the sea. I don't know about you, but that's not logical. That's not supposed to be, you don't talk to the sea, because the sea doesn't have a brain, doesn't understand you when you talk to it, right? But what would Jesus say? He rebuked the wind, he talked to the sea, and he said, peace be still. Obviously nothing happened because the sea is so dumb, doesn't understand when you talk to it, right? Nope. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. This is crazy. You guys are with me? Mark 5, 41 to 42. Now, Jairus, who was a leader in the synagogue, came to Jesus and he said, my daughter is sick, help her to be healed. By the time Jesus got there, she's dead. I don't know about you, but a dead body is a dead body. Amen? If a dead body doesn't understand, doesn't comprehend when you talk to a dead body, doesn't it, right? But what would Jesus do? He goes there, then he took the child by the hand, the dead child, and he said to her, who is dead, you guys are with me? Yeah. Talisa Kumi, which translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Well, there's a problem, Jesus. She's not asleep. She is dead. Her intellect is gone. Her will is gone. There is nothing in her. Like, you can talk to her till the cows come, ho come home. She doesn't understand. She will not comprehend. You guys are with me? But Jesus spoke to that dead body. And what happens? Immediately, the girl aroused and walked. And she was um, 12 years of age. And she overcome with a great amazement. Everybody was overcome with great amazement. Isn't that crazy? He talked to the dead body. And it obeyed. 
It obey. That's just even strange to say. It obey. That's just crazy, right? How did Jesus raise up Lazarus? He said, Lazarus, come forth. Remember, Lazarus is dead. He doesn't understand. But Jesus spoke to it, the dead body, and it came forth. Amen? You would say, well, well, that's Jesus. That's the Son of God. You know, he, he can do that. We can't. He's, he's the Son of God. But look at Peter now. He's raised up a, a disciple called Dorcas in Acts 9.40. Here is what the scripture says. But Peter put them all out. Everybody else is out. He knelt down and prayed. And he turned to what? The body. And turning to the body, he said, yeah. what body? The body of the dead the disciple. You guys are with me? A dead body. He didn't turn to a living body and spoke to it. He turned to a dead body and said to it, what? Arise. He's speaking. He's commanding a dead body. You guys are with me? No. This is some like defying logic stuff. You guys are with me? That doesn't make any sense to anybody. But this is what Peter did. And the girl opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she stood up. Jesus said you can speak to it and it will obey you. You guys are with me? Mark 9, 25, when Jesus saw the people um, came running to him, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, look at this, deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him. Wait, Jesus, there's a problem here. A deaf person doesn't hear. You guys are with me? Yes. How can you talk to somebody who's deaf, right? But Jesus talked to the deaf spirit, and the deaf spirit obeyed obey Jesus. I don't know about you, a deaf spirit, a deaf person is just as good as it, right? Because it doesn't hear anything you say. It's incapable of hearing what you're telling it, right? But Jesus spoke to the deaf person. He said, deaf person, deaf spirit, I command you, come out of it and enter him no more. Mark 11, 13 and 14, just one last example. Now, this is how Jesus cursed the fig tree. Look what he did. Seeing uh, in a distance, in the distance, the fig tree, seeing in that distance, a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out um, if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not seasoned for figs. Then he said to God, God, please curse it for me so that it will bear no more any fruit. Is that what Jesus said? He said to who? He spoke to who? I don't know about you. That doesn't sound right to me, right? How you speak to a tree and you say, may no one, he's talking to the tree and he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And guess what happened? It obeyed, right? Next day there was no fruit in it. So much so that disciples were shocked. Now, let me just close with this and then we're going to pray. Here's what Jesus has promised. Remember, what is faith? What is faith? Faith is action based on trust and the actual promises of God. I'm going to ask you today that everybody, when you leave the church, you need to act a little bit crazy. You guys are with me? Because that's what kind of the promises of Jesus is. He said, you know, you speak to the mountain and it will obey you. You speak to the tree and it will obey you. Do we have the promise or we do not have the promise? We have the promise, right? So there is no question that God has promised that. Is there any question that God has promised us to do that? No, he, the promise is there. What should we do in response to the promise of Christ? 
act because we trust him. In spite of the fact that what he has asked us to do absolutely makes no sense. And some people will think that you are flat out crazy, right? But think about this. The children of Israel did the same thing. When God said, go around Jericho for seven days and the walls will fall, they probably thought, man, if I obey that command of God, I'm going to be crazy. But guess what? They obeyed God anyway. And what happened? The walls did fall. Amen? Amen. Here's what Jesus said. Last, last word. John 12, 14 to... Um, I'm sorry, John 14, 12 to 14. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, yes. who's that? Is that anybody here believes in Jesus? Anybody here believes in Jesus? Yes. Okay, so that's for you. This promise is for you. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Oh, maybe Jesus didn't mean that. Well, here it is, verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. How much? 50% or 90%? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's the key. Amen? So if you go out and you ask for a Mercedes-Benz so you can be comfortable, it's not going to happen. Amen? But you're asking so that God will be glorified. Now that will come to pass. Amen? If you ask anything in my name, ah, let me, let me think about it. I might end up doing it. That's what he said, right? He didn't say that, did he? He said, I will do it. There's no question about it. Amen? Now, I don't want this to be just, you know, one sermon we, we're done and it's, uh, let's move on to something else. I want to challenge us. I want to challenge me. Like, I feel like when I was studying this yesterday, I want to change the way I pray for the sake, the way I yeah. do things. Because, like, we have the promise of Jesus. You speak to it and it will obey, right? It is, God is not looking for you to, to achieve certain amount of faith or reach a certain amount of prayer time. Obviously, you need to pray. You need to speak, like, worship God and all this stuff. There's no question about it. But this is, God is your father, and he's giving this to us as his children. This is not merit-based gifts. You guys are with me? This is just gifts from a loving father to his children. That's you and me. If you believe that's what Jesus said, you can do greater works. Amen? So I, I know for me, I want to do this. And I'm asking you to do that as well. When you leave the church today, remember, faith is what? Action based on trust in the actual promises of God, right? We do have actual promises of God. There's no question about it, right? Here they are. You have Matthew 17, 20. You have Luke 17, 6. And you have John 14, 12 to 14. Amen? That's three words that say pretty much the exact same thing. Amen? We have the promises of God. The question is, would you act on yes. these promises or not? Would you trust that the Bible that you read is actually true so much that you're willing to act on it even though some people will think you're crazy? But I will act on it anyways because I trust that the word that the scripture says is absolutely true. So much so that I'm willing to bear embarrassments if it doesn't come to yes. pass. Amen? Amen? Let's pray.